have the opportunity to visit and see people that maybe you only see once a week and how cool it is that you are here for that other person that maybe is looking for you and needs your smile and needs your high five. You say, I don't have a place. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And your place may be exactly where you are right now. In fact, it is. Uh, I want to thank Pastor for giving me the opportunity to do this. He's very, very kind and uh, gives, gives a young buck a shot at it every now and again. And I appreciate that and look forward to it. And I don't take it for granted either. Um, it's a privilege to be able to be here sharing with you what God has laid on my heart. And so I was 19. I had been working for a couple of years, still lived at home. I was paying my way through college. My parents were given an opportunity to get away for a weekend. And uh, it was like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Somebody had blessed them. And so they, I think they went to Branson for a few days. And uh, I was fine. There was no partying going on. It was, I mean, even though it was just me, it was all good. I had worked a shift, and then I had to be up a little earlier the next day. I, uh, I think I had closed, and then I had to be at work at 9 o'clock. And so as... My routine dictated, I set my alarm. Now, this was back in a day where we had alarm clock radios. I don't know if they still have those or not. And everyone that's like 30 and down, maybe even 20 and down, they're like, I think I'll just set my alarm and use it that way. Um, so I set my alarm. And what I didn't realize was I had turned the volume down to a very minute level. And it's very important if you have an alarm clock radio that the radio is actually heard to wake you up. But that didn't happen. And so I had it turned down somewhat. The alarm went off. I didn't hear it. This is what I did here. This is the sound that it, things used to make. That was a telephone, by the way. Not a cell phone, a telephone. I was dazed and confused, and I leaned over and grabbed the phone. Hello? And a voice at the other end said, wake up. And I looked at my clock, and it was 10.20. I was to be at work in Sparta at 9 o'clock. Mind you, up until this time, I was able, thankfully, to keep a perfect track record. I was never late. I never called in. I filled in when asked. Nevertheless, at this particular moment, in my life, panic set in. 10.20, and my boss is on the other end. Wake up. Where are you? 
I'm so sorry, I will be there ASAP. Now, I'm a shower guy in the morning, and I took the world's fastest shower in and out, one minute and 27 seconds, threw on clothes as my body is still wet, out the door. I drove like pastor that day. I showed up in Sparta at 11.07. It was a 30-minute drive from Willisville, 25. It wasn't that day. So maybe you've been there. Uh, School, you're late. Time to get up. That's a panic feel. That's not a pleasant feel. That's not a Christmas morning feel. That's a, (gasps) or maybe you've been late for work or late for, for an appointment. There's just no other feeling like the fact that no matter how fast you go, you're already late. Like, there's not a chance that you're going to make it on time. You're late. (laughs) It was a challenge. It was a challenge that, that I'll not forget, that feeling. And so this morning, I'd like to speak to you guys just for a few moments on this particular topic, wake up. And I'm going to be reading from Revelation chapter 3. And I'm reading out of the Good News translation. I really like this. And so here in Revelation 3, I want to let you know that the apostle John, John the Beloved, John the disciple who was always next to Jesus. If you read the book of John, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wasn't being braggadocious about it, but he was always with Jesus. In fact, at the Last Supper, he was so close. The Bible says he was just leaning on his chest. He was just that close. So God reveals to John some news And so John is writing this letter from the Isle of Patmos. He has been exiled because he is preaching Christ. And they exile him alone to an island. And here in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write. Everyone say church. That's who this letter is to. It's not to the unbeliever. This is to the church. To the angel of the church of Sardis write, this is the message from the one who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. I'll let you know this is Jesus. Jesus holds the seven spirits of God. He holds the seven stars. And this is what Jesus says to the church I know what you're doing. And then drop down, verse 2. So wake up and strengthen what you still have before it dies completely. And then verse 6. If you have ears, then listen to what the Spirit says to the church. 
Jesus is giving an exhortation to his bride. And he is saying, there needs to be a stirring in you. There needs to be an awakening that happens. I talked to my dad yesterday because he loves Revelation. And I said, Dad, what can you tell me about Sardis? And he said, well, Sardis represents the part of the church that is, hold on, because I don't want you to get offended this morning. But Sardis represents a part of the church that is dying. They're asleep. They're being lulled into a trance. And Jesus said, there needs to be an awakening. There needs to be a revealing, um, a realization. There needs to be an aha moment for you, church at Sardis, for you to realize that what you have and what you've been doing and the good things that have been going on, it's dying. And how does that happen? Well, it happens in several different ways, but I hear pastor and I don't know who he was quoting, but he says, this is the way we go to church, go to church. And we sang about it. These are the motions we do. And these are the things that make us Christian. And they're good things. You know what? Good things are good things. They're good. But if it's just a motion thing and it's not a heart thing, then it's not a power thing, and then the Holy Spirit's not in it. And Jesus said, you're doing good, you're doing good, but what you need to do is wake up before all the good that you're doing dies completely. You need to have an aha moment. And casual Christianity is the enemy of the power of the Holy Spirit working. Casual Christianity happens to all of us at one time or another if we're not attentive. We can turn the volume down and not even know it. And when the alarm goes off and the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us, we can't hear his voice. We have placed other things in the position that God should hold. A pastor has been so kind to lovingly encourage us all this thing's rough. Now, it's good. You know, Doc, we were in the office the other day talking. There's so many good things that this thing can do. But Doc admittedly was talking about how, and I'm going to tell a story on you, that he, he got up through the night and he was awake and he thought, I'm just going to check my phone. It was like 4 or 4.30 in the morning. Just going to check my phone real quick, make sure there are no messages. He's like, 45 minutes later, I'm just scrolling thinking, what am I doing? Because that's what happens. We, we, have, we used to have time to get alone with God, and we used to have time to get with people, but now what we do is we have time for our phone, and it's me and no more. And there's a slow process that happens in casual Christianity. Speaking of a slow process, there was a, a mom had a family of boys, they live down south, and down south they have, uh, they have different taste buds down there. And she said, she said we're, we're going to have uh, frog legs tonight. And, uh, and maybe you like frog legs, that's fine. 
she said, boys, go out and get some frogs and, and bring them in and uh, put them on the stove, and, and we're going to get ready and have those for dinner tonight. And so the boys, being boys, I think of Kendall. Kendall's like, he's like all boy. He's just always like wanting to do. He's outside. I might see him climbing a tree, riding his bike, playing catch. Just So I picture these boys, and they're like, yeah, Mom, we're going to go some frogs. And so they go, and they get the frogs. And they begin taking care of supper, and she walks in the kitchen about an hour later, and there are frogs jumping everywhere in the kitchen. And there's hot water on the stove, but these boys are just doing what they can to try to corral these frogs. And they're like, Mom, we can't, we can't do it. And she's just going, she said, get a pan and fill it with water. But mom, we've already got a pan. She said, get a pan and fill it with water. <sighs> so they go over and they fill up the big pot with water. She said, now put it on the stove. But mom, we've already got a pot on the stove. Put it on the stove. Put it on the stove. She said, now take the frogs and put them in the water. Mom, we've already tried. We've put them in the water. and they Just put them in the water. They put them in the water. And she said, now slowly turn up the heat. And the frogs did not move. As the heat slowly rose, they were unaware of their surroundings. And slowly but surely, they all cooked to death. And what can we learn from this? The enemy won't try to fool you with something shocking, something that you know is wrong, something that even the conscious inside of you says, oh no, I couldn't be part of that. No, what the enemy does is experience, helps you to experience a slow fade. It is a process. It is not overnight. Pastor, I keep referencing you. I'm so sorry. But, you know, you don't just rob a bank because of no reason. You thought about it. You thought about it. You considered it. You pondered it. You gave time and energy to the process. It wasn't just like that. You don't just fall into an adulterous situation. You thought about it. You considered it. There's no temptation that, that just, boom, where, where'd that come from? Where, how'd that come out of my mouth? Because it was in your heart. Because whatever's in your heart's going to come out of your mouth. Um, th this revelation that needs to take place. Jeff, I was born and raised in church, but it wasn't until, you know, six, seven years ago where you and I were, were trying to encourage a group of boys to play basketball. And... We would play teams. We would be part of, of great competition. And occasionally you would hear something or you would hear of someone saying something that they shouldn't say, whether on the court or off the court. And I said, Jeff, it breaks my heart. What is up? Why do these kids speak like they do? Cussing and, and just vulgar. And Jeff said, until they get a revelation that that's not God's best for them, they're going to stay there. You need to have a revelation. You need to have an aha moment. You need to listen to Jesus when he says, wake up. Going through the motions will get you nowhere. 
And casual Christianity will lull you to sleep. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when it says all there, that's the church. This has nothing to do with the lost person. They will experience the great white throne judgment. You and I will be judged one day, standing before God. And it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it's good or bad. And uh, pastor, years ago, you had showed where a great second translation of the word bad there is worthless. Those worthless things. We won't be judged so much according to our sin because our sin has been paid for, but those missed opportunities, those fruitless pursuits, those times where we could have done more in the power of God and we didn't. What I think of is I think of Lot. How many missed opportunities did Lot have in Sodom and Gomorrah? He had no testimony. He vexed his soul daily. He walked as they walked to the point where when the angels told him, get your family out. And he went and the Bible says he tried to persuade his sons-in-law to go. They laughed at him. Worthless pursuits kill your testimony. They kill your witness. People will say, why do I want to listen to him? He's just like me. He's walking the path that I'm walking. He's cussing like I'm cussing. He's doing what I'm doing. And this has nothing to do with works for salvation. Jesus took care of that. But there's a thing for works in your Christian growth. Pastor said, you want to get blessed? Just read the Bible. Just get in his word. I, I'm sorry, I referenced this because I've got my Bible pulled up. But um, don't, yeah, don't, don't follow the phone. Follow the Bible. The Bible is for those that want to be blessed. And God has given us words of encouragement to challenge us. I don't want to be a weak Christian. I want to, I want to walk in God's power. Jesus said to the church, strengthen what you still have. Because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that you received whenever you got saved, the Holy Spirit makes you an atmosphere changer. We were talking uh, a couple Wednesday nights ago right over here, and uh, Brad shared something with me that I wrote down. It's just really good. And it might, it might be like a toe-stepper honor kind of statement, but I, I think it's very valid. And it was this. If you don't change the room for the better when you walk in, leave. Mm. It hit me. Because of the Holy Spirit, I should be able to make any place that I go into better. Not because of me, because of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And if I walk in to Fusion on Wednesday night, and we got 25th, 6th, and 7th graders... And I walk in there with a negative attitude, cutting kids down, walking around like there's no joy of the Lord anywhere remotely close to my face. They're not going to want what I have. And I'm going to make the room darker than lighter. And so I, w I was challenged. I'm like, every time now I walk into a room, I think of that statement. If I walk into a room, I need to make that place better. Not me the Holy Spirit inside of me, to be an atmosphere changer. One pastor said to another pastor who was slowly falling away, 
He was slowly beginning to do things that he shouldn't do. One pastor said to another pastor, I can't be around you anymore because whenever I'm around you, my faith dies. That hurts, but it's real. And I pray no one would ever say that about me. And I pray that no one would ever say that about you. Your faith and your light is so strong and so bright that people just, they just want to be around you. They just, they're like, man, they're just an encourager. Whatever they've got, I want. Now, there are, there are areas in my walk where I'm weak. I think of James 1.5 because on a daily basis, I'm reminded I don't have near enough wisdom. And James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So that's a promise. Jesus said, if you do this, then I'll do this. That's what promises are in the Bible. And I'm sorry, but a lot of them are conditional. So I can't just be overwhelmed with wisdom. I have to say, God, I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom. And then he is faithful, and he will do what he promised. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.22, another area that I need to work on, it says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Um, this whole message came about about four weeks ago. And I can't tell you pastor's title, but he was preaching. And he was just being transparent, but he was talking about how he's watched this one show for a while. And it has good storyline. But he had an aha moment when he watched it one time. And it was just like the Holy Spirit inside of him was going... Because the Bible does say, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, was, I was out seeding some grass yesterday, and I needed to move the hose from one point to another, and I pinched off the hose so it wasn't spraying everywhere. I just pinched it off and walked it over here. And then I let it go. That's what we do. That's what quench is. You stifle the flow of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says to the church, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to flow. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit goes, ah, I don't feel the flow here. I don't think that's something you need to be doing. And so pastor recognized that and he just made a decision as we all have that opportunity to do because we have a choice. Pastor goes, I'm just not gonna watch that anymore. I can live without it. And so I was convicted then, God, I need to abstain from all appearance. It's not evil. It doesn't say abstain from all evil. It says abstain from all appearance of evil. If it looks evil, I'm not going to stand up here and preach against Halloween today, but I mean, come on. It looks evil. There's a lot of it that's evil. Just abstain. You're better off. There's wisdom there. Ephesians 4.29 says that if it's positive and uplifting, speak those things. And if it doesn't impart grace, then don't say it. Now watch this. Monica's going to take off and she's going to drive down the road. Monica, there's a huge pothole in the road, okay? Just be careful. Like I wouldn't even uh, take it for granted. You may want to go around because it's going to cause damage to your car. Now, it was in grace. Well, who are you? You judging me? I can go do what I want to do. You can I'm just trying to be gracious and say, this isn't God's best for you and your car. Don't go that way. And that's what we do. That's what pastor stands up here and does week after week. 
He says, there are potholes over here and there are potholes over there. And maybe he's hit a pothole or two and he's like, I don't like it. It's not fun. I don't want you to have to do it. Well, he's just judging me. He's just telling me how to live my life. Grow up. Heed. How many times does the Bible say heed, hear? We read it. He who has ears, let him hear. Listen what the Spirit is saying. And if it's not imparting something that's helping to build people, then don't say it. And cuss words fall in that category. So just throwing that out. Jesus said to be prepared because if you're not prepared, what is going to happen to you, it won't be good. And the part of you that's alive and touching people, it's dying. How many people could say that they've drove past a church and they've said, and you've said to yourself, not, not as many cars used to be there. Not as much happening there. For whatever reason, you get the feeling that maybe things aren't as alive as they used to be. And that's not judging. The church as a whole needs to take a step back and ask, where are we? Because in 2022, you better know where you stand. Well, I don't know about this. Well, the Bible will tell you. You need to. And you need to be prepared. Preach always. If necessary, use words. Live your life. Walk in his victory. Walk in his love to others. You don't necessarily have to have a witnessing one-on-one conversation with everyone that you meet. If the Holy Spirit's telling you to, yes. But I don't know how many times God has said to me, just love on them. Just love on them. And it's, it's kind of crazy how eventually they're like, so tell me about you. Like, why are you the way that you are? And then I have an open door. But I don't just walk up to Joe Blow and say, do you know you're going to hell? And they might be. You don't know. Maybe pull a Jesus a little bit and just encourage him and love on him. If the Holy Spirit's telling you, then obey. But most of the time, the Holy Spirit is saying, preach always. If necessary, use words. Amos 4.12 says, prepare to meet God. I'm going to steal your line, Doc. Talk to someone. You say, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? They may tell you. Where do you see yourself 20 years after that? They may tell you. Where do you see yourself 30 years after that? And then the answer may be like dead. And so, and then what's that look like? Are you preparing for that next chapter? God says to prepare because one day we all will stand before living God. And I want him to look at me and say, well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little bit. But now I want to make you ruler over much. And I want to take every crown that he gives me. As he says, well done. And I want to be able to lay it right back down at his feet. And say, worthy is the lamb. Who was slain before the foundation of the earth. 
I want to prepare. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you seek God, you'll find him. Search for him with your whole heart. He's there. He'll be found of you. There's a small bridge that stretches between the Bronx and Manhattan in New York. It's called the Spiten Devil Bridge. This bridge receives trains coming up from Westchester that will cross it and they will ride down to the Hudson to lower Manhattan. What is special about this bridge, it's constantly opening and closing to allow ships and uh, other uh, sea uh, structures to pass. And they will then be allowed to circle Manhattan. In 1904, a train was coming up from Westchester and wanting to cross the bridge. Back in those days, there would be a lantern swinger who stood at the bridge to let the train know if he could pass or not. When he heard the call of the train whistle, he would swing his lantern if the bridge was up. If the lantern was not swung, the conductor of the train would understand the bridge was down and safe for passage. Early, one Friday morning, about 3 a.m., a train crashed into the water. It was a very serious accident, a great tragedy. And of course, everyone wanted to know who was responsible. Suspicion naturally fell on the lantern swinger. After all, he was the one responsible for swinging his lantern if the bridge was up and could not be crossed. The case was brought into court. Six months of hung juries. His lawyer, in a dramatic break from courtroom practice at the time, decided to call the lantern swinger onto the stand. State your title. Mr. Lantern Swinger, he replied quickly. Where were you early on Friday morning? That was in question. At my post, sir. Did you see the oncoming train? Yes, sir. I did. Were you perhaps under the influence of alcohol early that morning? No, sir, I don't drink. Then, please tell the court what happened when you saw the oncoming train. Did you or did you not swing your lantern? A hush fell over the courtroom. Only the sound of bated breath and the reporter's pencils were faintly heard. Strangely, strangely, the lantern swinger, who had been fully poised up until this moment, replied, Yes, sir, yes, sir. I, I did swing the lantern. Although the jury didn't know what to think of his stutter, they believed him. He was acquitted. The case was dropped. However, as the last person, filed out of the courtroom and the defense attorney was left alone with his client he exploded I've been defending you for six months I've worked day and night I've barely seen my wife and kids you told me you were innocent then why the stutter the stutter of a guilty man the lantern swinger looked sadly at his attorney with a tear in his eye he said you asked the wrong question 
You ask me if I swung my lantern. You forgot to ask, was the lantern lit? What am I waving? Hey, everybody. I know Jesus. I love Jesus. Don't you want to know the Jesus that I know? And the train passes me and crashes into the water. I don't know. I don't know. I'm waving my lantern. Here's the question that Jesus asked me. Is it lit? How do I keep my lantern lit? I stay close to Jesus. I'm like the disciple who wouldn't leave Jesus' side. If Jesus says jump, I say how high? I'm not a robot. I'm not doing it to earn his love. I'm doing it because of his love. I want to be so close, so close to Jesus. My lantern's always lit. I let my light shine so others can see my good works and in so doing say, glory be to God. Nothing else, nothing else but Jesus. Everything else, sinking sand.
I forgot that you were enough. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there when you forgot that God is more than enough? That God is more than enough to save your marriage? That God is more than enough to meet your need? That God is more than enough to save that wayward child? That God is more than enough to heal your body that is racked with pain. God would have you to know that he's more than enough. That he hasn't forgotten you. That he hasn't forgotten that child that is drunk that he hasn't forgotten that child that is wracked with drug addiction. That he hasn't forgotten that wife or that husband that left you alone. He hasn't forgotten you, my child. He loves you with an unconditional love. He loves you with a love that is so unlike anything that we could ever, ever dream of. He is more than enough. He's bigger than a pandemic. He's bigger than an empty seat.
lights today. Father, help us just to move a little closer to you. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Call you blessed, you are dismissed. Find somebody and hug them.